Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on February 14th, 2016, on the basis of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Every now and then things work out so perfectly timing-wise that I, I wish I could take some sort of credit for that, even though I can't. See, if I would have told you that today in church we're going to be talking all about love, you might have guessed that that had something to do with the fact that today just happens to be Valentine's Day. It doesn't. In fact, here at Good News, I've maybe mentioned this before, we follow an annual calendar that the church has been using for hundreds and hundreds of years, and that calendar comes with a schedule of three assigned readings for each and every Sunday, each and every festival, and those readings determine what we're going to be talking about. Now, we follow that calendar for all kinds of good and important reasons that I won't get into right now, but the point is, the fact that we're talking about love today has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that it's Valentine's Day. And yet I am convinced that today is the perfect time to be talking all about God's love. And here's what I mean. I confess that I am a fan of The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Anybody else like The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon? Okay, if you watch The Tonight Show, you know that every Friday he does this little bit where he writes out a bunch of fake, humorous thank you notes. Have you seen that? Okay, well, a week ago Friday, this was one of Jimmy Fallon's thank you notes. It said, thank you, Food at Super Bowl parties for hammering the final nail into the coffin of my New Year's resolution. Now, obviously, that's intended primarily to get a laugh from his audience, but I think it illustrates a very interesting point. You see, every single year, come January 1st, we get this fresh start. It's a new year and we set new goals, and we have New Year's resolutions that go along with them, and we are so optimistic about all of the change and all of the self-improvement that we are going to produce in our lives. But maybe it's right about now, about five, six weeks in, early, middle part of February, that we start to realize that we failed. That all of that change and all of that improvement that we were hoping to see just hasn't happened. If you've ever gone through that, you probably know how that makes you feel about yourself. And maybe, maybe you've also wondered how that makes God feel about you, how that affects where you stand with God. That's why it's such a perfect time today to be talking all about God's love. See, as we turn our attention to these verses from Romans chapter 8, here is the question that Paul wants us to consider. How can I be absolutely certain that in spite of all of the change and in spite of all of the self-improvement that never quite materializes in my life, how can I be certain that God still loves me? That's the question that Paul wants us to be able to answer. He wants us to be able to put God's love to the test. How do you suppose a person would do that? Well, thankfully, we don't have to sit around wondering and waiting. Thankfully, we don't have to sit there with our flower and 
pull off one pedal at a time, alternating between he loves me and he loves me not. No, God gives us ironclad, indisputable proof of his love. Paul describes God as the one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How do you know that God loves you? Well, God gave Jesus for you. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's not a startling piece of information that you're just hearing for the very first time, right? You've heard that before, and yet I sometimes wonder whether even for those who have heard it so many times, whether we truly understand and truly appreciate what God is saying here. Speaking of startling pieces of information and speaking of TV shows, I found out a couple of weeks ago that the TV show Grey's Anatomy is still on the air. Did you know that? I was kind of surprised. If you've never seen Grey's Anatomy, it's one of those hospital shows and it's been on the air for years and years and years. And I won't tell you which member of my household likes to watch Grey's Anatomy. But sure enough, one night a couple of weeks ago, she was sitting there watching an episode and I promise I, I was just in the room. I was doing something else entirely. But, but as the episode played on, I, I kind of got sucked in. You see, this episode was about a newborn girl, a tiny infant girl who was very, very sick, who had a tumor in her liver and who needed a transplant or else she would quickly die. Thankfully, after doing a bunch of tests, they found out that the father of this little girl was an eligible donor and he could donate part of his liver as a transplant for her so that she could live. And sure enough, as the episode played on, one of the surgeons on the show was in charge of this whole operation. The daughter received that part of, his, of her father's liver as a transplant, and sure enough, she got better. She lived. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but isn't that sort of how God's love for us is often conveyed? that God looks at us and he sees what's wrong with us. He sees that the mess that we're in. He sees all of our problems. And of course, because God loves us so much, God wants to fix that. God wants to make it all better. And so in that love, he decides to send his son Jesus to come in it and sort of like a surgeon would do, make us all better. Makes sense, right? Sounds good. That is not at all what Paul is describing in this verse. And in fact, that's not at all what made that episode of Grey's Anatomy so intriguing to me. You see, that episode wasn't just about this little girl who needed surgery. It was more about how this little girl had a twin. A brother who was just as sick, who had the very same tumor, and who needed the very same transplant. And unfortunately, the father could only give part of his liver for one of those two children. One was going to live, but in order for that to happen, one had to die. And the parents had to make the choice. Can you imagine that? That's what Paul's saying here, and, and here's why that's so important. You see, if Jesus were nothing more than our surgeon, then that first lesson that I read today where Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, do you know what that lesson would be all about? Do you know what it would be teaching us? 
It would be teaching us what a great example Jesus is for us to follow. It would be teaching us how we should resist the devil's temptations just like Jesus did. And if Jesus were nothing more than our, our surgeon, then a few weeks from now when we get to Good Friday, when we think about Jesus dying on the cross, do you know what that would be all about? That would be all about Jesus showing the power of sacrifice. Jesus inspiring us to lay down our lives for others. That's not at all what Paul is saying in these verses. He's not saying that God sent Dr. Jesus to come into our lives and make everything better. No, he wants us to picture God as that father with the impossible choice. On the one hand, he had Jesus, his son, his only son, his perfect son. On the other hand, he had us. And friends, make no mistake, God is not in the dark about us. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Jesus and us. One can live, the other must die. And without flinching, God gave Jesus over to death. Not as our surgeon, but as a sacrifice, as a substitute for us. So that story of Jesus going out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, it's exactly what that song that we sang at the beginning says it's all about. God's dauntless law, Christ mastered in my stead. And Jesus' death on the cross, as that song says, Christ drank God's wrath on sin, then cried, it's done. Sin's wage is paid and our redemption won. That's what Paul is saying when he says that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's the way that we can put God's love to the test. That's the ultimate proof of how great God's love for us really is. And friends, I don't know about you, but I need that proof like all the time. In fact, everything we've been talking about so far, so far, it's not even the main point of what Paul is saying in these verses. We've been talking about how to put God's love to the test. Paul's main point in these verses is why we need to put God's love to the test and when we need to put God's love to the test. In fact, everything that he's been talking about so far is sort of a, a premise that he then builds upon to make that main point. It's almost as if he's saying, if this is really true, if God really loves you that much, then here's a bunch of other stuff that's also true. He does that with some rhetorical questions. He says, if God is for us, who could possibly be against us? If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Friends, if God really loves you that much that he didn't spare his own son, can anything possibly happen in your life that would convince you otherwise? Well, there are two things that try and convince us otherwise, two biggies. Paul brings them both up. First, he talks about our sin. Have you ever done something so big 
or done something so often that you sort of started to think to yourself, okay, that's it. Now I've crossed the line. Now I've done it. Now I've swiped that divine debit card one too many times and I have gone over my limit. And so now I need to figure out a way to make up for this or when I die, who knows where I'm going to end up. Friends, that's exactly when we need to put God's love to this test. If God was already willing to give up his only son for you, do you think that all of a sudden now he's going to start drawing some sort of line in the sand and saying, that's it, that's the limit, that's the boundary of my love? In fact, if God were to refuse you forgiveness, do you know what he'd have to do first? Paul describes this in these verses. If God were to refuse you forgiveness, he would first have to turn immediately to his right. Do you know who's sitting there? That's where Jesus is. Do you know what Jesus is doing there at God's right hand? He is pleading for you. He is pleading your case. And so to refuse you forgiveness, God would first have to turn to his right, look his son in the eye, and say, son, you know what you did for those people? You know that suffering and death that I sent you to? Well, nice try, but just not quite good enough. Now be quiet. Do you envision that happening? I sure don't. Which means that when it comes to our sins, I think we're in pretty good shape. I think there's a limitless supply of forgiveness for us. First, Paul talks about those sins. Second, he talks about our suffering. In fact, he catalogs a whole list, a whole slew of things that can happen in people's lives that cause them to wonder, does God really love me? The very first two that he mentions, hardship and trouble, are really sort of like headings under which everything else falls. And those words that he uses sort of have interesting pictures. The first one has the idea of the roof caving in on you. The second one has the idea of the walls closing in on you. Does life ever feel that way? As the bills slowly pile up higher and higher and higher, as you get more bad news about your health, as relationships in your life actually get worse rather than getting better, as you feel the hostility toward Christianity, toward you for your faith mounting and mounting and mounting, the walls closing in, the roof caving in, Again, it's then that you need to put God's love to the test. God already gave up his son for you. Don't you think he's going to finish the job? In fact, think again about that father who had to make that choice. So he watches his son die so that his daughter can live. Of course, for the rest of her life, like all transplant patients, that daughter is going to be on anti-rejection medication and need to make all kinds of hospital visits throughout the course of her life. Can you imagine if, years down the road, the father would suddenly say, you know what, all these pills that I'm paying for, all of these doctor's bills that I'm getting, it's just getting to be too much, and so I'm done. Sorry, honey, you're on your own. That would be insane, wouldn't it? He was already willing to pay the greatest price to watch his son die, which means that anything else is nothing by comparison. In fact, if he were to do that, it would mean that the death of his son would be absolutely worthless, absolutely meaningless. That's what Paul is saying in these verses, that if God was willing to give up his son for you, then maybe, 
Just maybe he's going to finish the job. Maybe he will do anything that it takes to get you home to heaven with him. So friends, whether you're up to your eyeballs in sin or whether you're up to your eyeballs in suffering, put God's love to the test. Test it by remembering how God gave his son into death so that you might live. Every single time life gives you reason to believe otherwise, put God's love to the test. Because every single time God will pass that test with flying colors. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.